I was reading a note from a fellow pastor this week. Like many people, perhaps like you, he was going through some difficult times. Physically, his body was falling apart. That in and of itself would be difficult, but also endeavors that that he had spent a great deal of time and energy on, they, they too seem to be falling to pieces or looking as if they could. Add to that the fact that he spent a great deal of time on the road. It didn't take much imagination or, or creativity while reading his letter to feel his pain. He's usually very upbeat, but in this letter he admitted that he was down, somewhat in despair. It's hard to know what to say when somebody's hurting like that. He described his despair as if someone had told him that he was dying. And of course, he was asking what I think any of us would ask. Why? Why is this happening? It's one thing to struggle. It's quite another to be in despair. I probably don't have to tell you that. Many of you have been there. Some of you are there right now. So why was God letting this happen? It's a question that I've asked before in my life. Maybe you've asked it. It It's pretty clear uh, that this pastor was asking the same thing. Did, Did God care? And if he did care, couldn't he do anything about it? So let me ask you, what would you say to that pastor? you could talk to him what would you say about his situation I want you to have that in the back of your mind as we turn to our text today it's in the gospel of mark it's going to be mark chapter 5 beginning in verse 21 if you don't have your bible you'll find it in the pew bibles in front of you on page 840 feel free to grab one of those and parents if your children are beside you and they can't find the text help them find it as well But before we read, let's ask God for his help as we listen to his word and ask him to apply it to our very lives today. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Father, we ask that you would meet us in this place. In the midst of all of our questions and all of our confusions, in the midst of our wanderings and wonderings and in the midst of our pain. For some of us, this pain is raw and real, and yet it is a pain that has not cracked our self-focused shell. We have not allowed the pain in our lives to make us open to you and receptive to your love for us. For some of us, we have questions in our heads that we've been pondering, and yet we admit that we have not allowed ourselves to think that you might be the answer because of what we feel and fear may, that may mean for us in the way in which we live. We do not take you at your word that you love us, that you're patient with us, that you would be so ready to forgive our outright rebellion against you. Whatever it is keeping us from you, be it doubt or dullness, be it anger or anxiety, be it obstinance or opulence, break through this morning, we pray, through the reading and preaching of your word. You have promised where two or three are gathered in your name that you will be there. Lord, we have gathered. May we come to understand that you keep your word. And may we feel and know your presence here among us by way of your Holy Spirit. And if we may be so bold as to ask once again, speak, O Lord, ever so clearly in the stillness of the next few minutes, 
for your servants listen. In Christ's name, amen. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. This is God's perfect, poignant, and personal word for us today. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little girl is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's not hard to imagine the despair in Jairus' life, is it? I know people who have been in this situation, and I know because I've talked to you that some of you, unfortunately, have been here as well. For all the power and success that Jairus had experienced in his life, for, for all his stature and influence in the community and as a synagogue ruler, it meant nothing. He couldn't draw on any of it to affect the one thing that was dominating his life at this point, his 12-year-old daughter is deathly sick. For some of you, no imagination is needed. You've been here. This is very real for you. 
As Jesus approaches, there's a large crowd that's gathered around him. And Mark says that Jairus threw himself at Jesus' feet. It's a deed of desperation, the act of a man at the end of his rope. Jesus is his last, his best, his only hope. My little girl is dying. Please, please come do something. Put your hands on her that she might be healed. But please, just just do something. Did you notice that Mark doesn't record Jesus saying anything in response? Neither does the gospel writer Luke in his account in Luke chapter 8, where we learn another detail. It's Jairus' only daughter, and it reads as if it may be his only child. Desperation evident, request made, and Jesus interestingly, says nothing. It's as if Jesus perhaps just just gives him a nod. Or maybe Jairus, just just noticing that Jesus seemed willing, uh, maybe just kind of led him along and and, and kind of turned, knowing that Jesus, Jesus might just follow him home. For a brief moment, For an ever so brief moment, there was perhaps this this glimmer of hope for Jairus, or at least the lessening of his despair. Things, Things were looking up, at least for a passing minute. A brief and seemingly fleeting moment. What happened next must have sent Jairus right back to the depths of desperation. As they're moving to his home, the crowd begins to press against Jesus. One of them, Mark tells us, is a lady who had been bleeding for 12 years. For every year that Jairus' daughter had been alive, this woman had been hemorrhaging. She had seen doctors, she had spent untold amounts of money, and yet nothing had helped. But she knew, she just believed that Jesus could heal her. She didn't need to get his attention. She didn't want a big to-do about it. In fact, she was trying as best as she could to remain anonymous. She decided if she just touched Jesus, that would be enough. She could be healed. So while the crowd was pressing against him, she, she reached in and touched him. Or at least she touched his garment. That's it. That's all she did. Then Jesus does something very strange. He knows that not every touch he was feeling was simply a case of people invading his personal space. No, it was much more than that. This was different. He felt power leave him and knew that one touch in particular was special. And he stops and he asked, who touched me? The disciples, I think, are a little frustrated. They're questioning Jesus, making a big deal out of this, perhaps feeding off the desperation of Jairus. There's a little girl dying. Time is, after all, of the essence. Why are we stopping? Why are we allowing Jesus to be delayed? Let's go. Let's move. Clear the way, people. But Jesus is not to be deterred. He stops to heal. 
and to address this woman particularly. A woman whose situation is chronic, yes, but it's not acute. It's life-altering, but it's not life-threatening. It's one, yes, who needed help, but not one who was totally helpless. And Jesus, by his actions, Jesus delayed, is telling desperation to wait. Jairus must have been apoplectic at this point. And just then, men from his house arrive. Perhaps one put his arm around Jairus and maybe pulled him to the side just a bit. And he said, Jairus, my friend, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's too late. Any glimmer of confidence, any vestige of hope now vanished, perhaps even vanquished. How do you handle it when the bottom falls out of what you thought was rock bottom? What do you do when it's too late? Story is told of a man having a conversation with God. He was asking God the kind of things you and I would probably ask God. Things to help us understand more about him. God, the man asked, you say that you're eternal. I have no concept of that. It, it, it's too hard for me to fathom. How long would a million years be to you? God thought about it and replied, well, a million years to me would, would be like a second to you. The man nodded, beginning to grasp the concept of eternity. Okay, the man said, you say that everything that exists is yours. You, you own it all. I just can't get my arms around that. If you own everything, then a million dollars to you would be like, God answered, well, it's not apples to apples. It's not a one-to-one -one comparison, but a million dollars to me would be like a penny to you. The man nodded, taking it all in. A million years is like a second. A million dollars is like a penny. So he decided to ask God one more question. God, he said, can I have a penny? To which God said, sure, just a second. <laughs> what makes jokes funny, maybe not this one, but what makes jokes funny is that there's a little bit of truth in them. What that joke was attempting to say, what Mark 5 is definitely saying is this. God's perspective is not the same as our perspective. God's timing is not our timing. And you may be saying to yourself, well, well, thanks, preacher. Really appreciate that. Less than helpful insight. Listen, don't mishear and don't misunderstand me. I'm not diminishing the pain and suffering and despair of Jairus, and I'm not doing that to you either. 
Our world is broken. And pain and suffering and despair are ever so real and ever so present. But don't let it skew your view of Jesus and don't let it blind you where you end up missing the glory of Jesus displayed. Jesus had already shown Jairus that he was willing to help. He began to follow him home. Jesus had displayed that he had the power to help. He had cured a woman who had been bleeding nonstop for 12 years. And he's about to show Jairus that his perspective is not our perspective. And his timing is not our timing. When everyone around heard these words, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Jesus looked at Jairus and said, do not fear. Just believe. And they continued walking all the way to the house. I wonder what that walk must have been like. I wonder how far it was from, from point A where they now were to point B where Jairus lived. I wonder, uh, did that walk seem never ending? They arrived and Jesus goes in and the mourners were already there. The wake had begun. And Jesus said, the child is not dead, but asleep. Now, do not think, oh, see, she wasn't dead. In scripture, all throughout, both the Old Testament and New Testament, death is described as sleep. Make no mistake, Jesus is about to raise this girl from the dead, just as Jesus did for the widow in Nain in Luke, in Luke 7, and just as he raised Lazarus from the dead in John 11. Jesus is not saying that she's not dead. He's making a comment about things that we think are final. God's perspective is not our perspective. It's his way of saying to the men who came to tell Jairus that his daughter was dead and to the mourners who had gathered at the home, it was his way of saying that there it's too late, it's too early. God's timing is not our timing. I looked and studied this passage many times over the past couple of weeks but I'll be honest, it wasn't until yesterday that in reading it that I took notice of the first sentence in verse 40. Have you ever done that? Read a passage a number of times and then all of a sudden something jumps off the page. Look at the first part of verse 40. Did you see their response? It's important to take note of. And they laughed at him. And they laughed at him. Laughter here is not the cordial of the hopeful. It's the poisonous mocktail of the cynic. Their response was to mockingly laugh at any suggestion that their assessment of the situation was in any way premature. What's yours? In that moment when death and despair is on one side of you and Jesus on the other, what is your response? Is it hope or is it cynicism? Are you open to the possibility that Jesus can do something? Or is it in your mind too late?
Jesus enters the home. He didn't have to. He could have saved the steps and just said by the power of his word that the girl be healed. And you know what? She would have been healed. But that's not what he does. What Jesus did was much more personal. Don't skip over that. Jesus came to and into their home, pushing through the cynicism. In fact, moving it outside, Jesus took Jairus, his wife, a sampling of his disciples to and into the very room where it's over was laid out in full view. And verse 41, verse 41 tells us that he took death by the hand and whispered, Talitha kumi, which means Little girl, I say to you, arise. Get up! And death got up. That little girl got up and walked around. Death was made alive. God's perspective is not our perspective. God's timing is not our timing. They're too late. It was too early. I mentioned the letter of the pastor at the beginning. Have you been thinking? What would you say to the pastor who is in such despair? Remember, he described his situation as if someone had, had told him he was about to die. He was living under a death sentence. Does God care and why? If he can do something, why isn't he? Here's what he wrote. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. That's what the pastor and apostle Paul wrote in his second letter to the church at Corinth. But this happened that we might rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. One theologian described it this way. Clearly a difficult time for him. Physically, Paul was at his lowest. He heard that. Secondly, one of his largest churches, the Corinthians themselves, had stabbed him in the back by embracing teachers and teachings that were leading them away from the truth of the gospel that he had taught them. Had he done it all wrong? Had he failed them and failed God? Was he going to die under persecution or in prison, knowing his work was in ruins, that he'd, call, he'd been called to a unique mission and just blown it? And he says this sudden crisis was to make him rely not on himself, but on the God who raises the dead. 
Hadn't he believed before that God was the God who raises the dead? Of course he had. But somehow there was a new depth, a further level of his personality, which the message of the gospel hadn't fully got through to before. He came to the other end of his own resources. He heard and felt the sentence of death pronounced by the little voice of fear inside. And he says, this was to make me rely on the God who raises the dead. He goes on. I don't want to give the impression that this new reliance is easy, something that anyone can do by snapping his or her fingers and getting on with it. It's enormously difficult and often the work of years and even decades to hear the gospel of the resurrection with what Sir Edward Elgar called our insidiest inside. What I'm saying is that the message of the gospel, the message of that true God is the God who raises the dead, can and does go that deep. And that whatever you may be, and whenever you may hit that rock bottom sense of despair, the gospel can reach you there too. Therefore, do not be surprised if living as Christians brings us to the place where we find we are at the end of our own resources and that we are called to rely on the God who raises the dead. And as we said on Easter Sunday, as another theologian put it, God raises the dead and only the dead. Can I get personal for a moment? What have you declared to be dead? What have you decided to bury, to say to everyone, it's too late? If Jesus was going to do it, he would have surely done it by now. How about that relationship that was broken? That friendship that used to be before sin and hurt and resentment killed it. Is it your marriage? Do you think it's dead? If you're honest, have you found yourself saying to yourself and anyone who will listen, it's too late? What about salvation? What about the salvation of your parent? What about the salvation of your friend? What about the salvation of your adult child? What about your salvation? Is it too late? Is it too late to you? Is it possible? Is it just possible that God is just now getting you where Paul was? to the point of not being able to rely on yourself and having to trust God, is it just possible that while everyone around you is saying, why trouble the teacher any further? Is it possible that you are wanting God to act right now and you're frustrated that he says just a second? Are you trying to make God's timing fit into your predetermined schedule? Could it be that you're too late It's too early. Well, let me ask it this way. In the despair that you are going through right now, do you trust Jesus who raises people from the dead? And do you believe he raises only the dead? It's been many years ago. That pains me to say. It's been many years ago when I was attending a training conference for youth workers. I was just out of college. 
one night, singer-songwriter Michael W. Smith stopped by to play a few songs for us. Not a full concert. He was just making an appearance to encourage us. And he shared with us that night that he had been in a very dark place. Distraught. Discouraged. Without going into detail, he, he simply started to play the keys of his piano. And he sang these words. You breathe in me. And I'm alive by the power of your holiness. You breathe in me. And you revive feelings in my soul that I have laid to rest. So breathe in me. I need you now. I have never felt so dead within. So breathe in me. And maybe somehow you can breathe new life in me again. I used to be so sensitive to the light that leads to where you are. Now I've acquired these calluses within the darkness of a cold and jaded heart. So breathe in me. I need you now. I have never felt so dead within. Breathe in me. Maybe. Somehow. You can breathe new life in me again. Can you relate? Is that you? As Jesus said to Jairus during the darkest time of his life, so I now, ministering in the name of Jesus, say to you, do not fear. Just believe. Just believe in the one who raises the dead. Only the dead. Jairus didn't know how his story would end. His too late was too early. You and I have the benefit of knowing. So here's a question. Do you trust Jesus with your own story? It's not too late. Father, we pray and we ask. Breathe in me. Because when you breathe in me, I'm alive by the power of your holiness. Breathe in me and revive feelings in my soul that I have laid to rest. Breathe in me. I need you now. I've never felt so dead within. Breathe in me. Maybe somehow. You can breathe new life in me again. Lord Jesus, we are asking. I am begging for each person in this room. Heal us, Emmanuel. Here we are. We need you. So heal us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.